0: We're in the end of Exodus, we'll kind of move into Numbers and then Deuteronomy toward the end of the summer, and we'll be done. So let me go and pray for our time, and then we'll dive into God's Word. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for your Word as we, we pray every week, but uh, God, we, we invite you today through your Word and the ministry of opening your Word to open our hearts even. Uh, God, we come as people who, like the people of Israel, um, are holding on to things that um, are not of you, and so God, we ask you to... Uh, to expose those even now as we're we're looking into your word. And God, we most of all long to know you, follow you, and serve you in this world. So God, teach us how to do so uh, through this word. Uh, Teach us how to be more faithful, but also how to bring grace and truth into the world for which you died. Let me pray this through Christ. Amen. Uh, The question that I'd like to ask that will kind of govern this morning's teaching, is and it's actually a question I'd like to get a show of hands on, And a very simple question I think we can all kind of respond to is is this. How many in the room have ever lost a friend or a loved one, lost a relationship? Could be that somebody died that was close to you, or you had a friendship that broke and was irreparable. Go ahead and raise your hands. So that's like almost all of us in the room. There's a few that never have. Um, And that's a fairly common experience, losing people, isn't it? It's just part of life. People come, they go. Uh, 2009. Uh, I lost, probably one of the hardest years of my life, I lost one of my best friends. And it actually wasn't through a death. uh, This was through a road trip. (laughs) We moved to Pennsylvania from Seattle. I was uh, called to a church much like Chad. So we moved, and this friend of mine, who my best friend at the time, uh, was the best man in our wedding, led me to Christ, had a huge influence on me. He agreed to road trip with me. And so this is a warning against road tripping 3,000 miles with Jack. Uh, And so, and I won't even go into the whole story, but by the end of that trip, uh, our friendship was broken irreparably. And so for the next four years, we didn't speak. It actually took one of our other best friends to email us one day and say, well, you guys just grow up. (laughs) You're, you know, 30-something men now. You can deal with this. Come on. And uh, so we did, and we're reconciled today. But the challenge in those four years was finding my friend Wake. And not literally, I knew where he lived. I knew his phone number. I knew everything, how to find him in Portland. But relationally, there was this huge chasm between us that just felt like I couldn't get across it and he couldn't get across it. And that led to difficulty and loneliness and a lot of heartache in that period of my life. So that's the question. That's kind of what's happened with me. Let me ask you another question. This is rhetorical. Don't feel like you need to raise your hands. In fact, don't raise your hand. But how many of you have ever lost God in that way? How many of you have ever lost God in that way? Uh, you know, you met Jesus in Sunday school or at a summer camp, you know, Malibu or wherever you were. You invited him into your life. There's this fire burning in your heart. Like you can, you think about it. You just can experience, you feel that, right? As they say, you were on fire for the Lord and then one day you woke up. Or maybe it wasn't one day, maybe it was just a period of time and you realized God wasn't in your life. You had lost God. There was this chasm between you and God and you no longer had that fire in your life anymore. The fire had gone out, as they say. In fact, the Bible very often talks about our relationship with God as a fire, and we all know fire it comes in. You know, we can we can picture fire. I was just on vacation backpacking. We we did a fire, and it's brilliant. It's hot. It's illuminating. It's attractive, right? Um, but unless you tend that fire, what happens? In fact, the moment you stop tending that fire, the fire goes out, it just dies down, and burns out, right? And a lot, here's the key, a lot of us in the room have had an experience and an encounter with God, okay? And it's, but it's been a long time since we've tended that fire, a long time, and our relationship with God has grown very cold. And I think a lot of us have to agree, if we're honest with each other, and I hope you could be honest with yourselves, that the people around us, the people we know, the people we love, the people that, that love us, one of the reasons that these people are not being helped by our lives they're not being attracted to God by us. Um, They're certainly not having their lives changed through our life is because we're so cold. The fire in our hearts, our relationship with God has burned down so far. There's nothing about us that they'd be attracted to. There's no fire there for them. So here's the question I want to build this teaching on. How does somebody who's had that fire in their life, or maybe you're somebody here this morning, you've never had that fire, and you want that, how does somebody build that fire back up? How do you do it? You know how to build a fire if you've been through Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, but how do you do that spiritually? And how does a church, we've been here for a couple years, had a great fiery start, you know, I'm Pastor X, like, that's awesome. And we've been here a couple years, and people have left. I'm not saying leaving's bad, Hammonds, it's good. But people have left for other reasons. Uh, You know, we've gotten into ruts and routines. We're starting into our third fall, and it's like, how does a church like ours build that fire back up, you know? or maintain it? How do we turn up the heat a little bit, you know? Be a church that's attractive. Well, this story from Exodus, chapters 32, 33, a little bit of 34, tell us. This particular chapter, 32, and then the next chapter, really remarkable because they depict in probably the most concrete way in the Bible, very concrete, how to find God. And not only how to find God, but how to find him when you've lost him. How to experience God as a fire when that fire's gone out. You see, the people of God, if you read Exodus, have been on fire. They are on fire, like literally, God is going around with them as a pillar of fire, right? They've been through the part of waters of the Red Sea. doesn't get more awesome than that. They've drunk water from a rock. How many in the room have done that? Actually, a couple of you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, The commandments have come down from the mountain, right? Revelation. And then here in Exodus 32.1, this one singular verse that Sean read for us, the fire goes out. It's out. This may be the quintessential place we find out why the fire goes out. And then not only why, but how to build that fire back up. Okay, So that's kind of our, our how to renew a relationship with God once we've lost that relationship, how to stoke it, how to build it back up. So that's our heading. Those are our headings for this morning. If you have a bulletin, the outline is just why and how. Okay? Why does the fire go out, if, if you're tracking with me here? And then how. How do we build that back up over time through relationship with God? Okay, So let's just look at those. We'll be in Exodus 32 and 33. So you have a Bible and, and you know, a couple. you have a hard copy of the Bible. Feel free to open it up on your phone if you'd like to. It'd be great to track along just so it helps you kind of remember what we're talking about. Exodus 32 33. So Exodus 32, these are the passages, or this is the chapter we kind of read the beginning of. Uh, take a look there. In those two chapters, you're going to see the main reason that the fire goes out. Okay, this is under the heading Y. Three times in this, these two chapters and then once in chapter 34... And various times elsewhere in the Old Testament, in fact, God says that the people of Israel have become stiff-necked. So you see it in 32 verse 9, 33 verse 3 and 5, 34 verse 9, then you're going to see it elsewhere as well. So what's this talking about? It's not just like they slept bad in the desert. That's not what this is about. It's a Hebrew idiom. It, It literally means a people stiff of neck. It comes from the Hebrew word for stubbornness. As you parse it out, it means they're stubborn. They're being stubborn. And at a level, we kind of all get this word picture, especially those of us that have kids or, or younger siblings. Like, we know what it means to have a stubborn person in your life when they, he or she refuses to do what you ask, right? They stiffen up their neck. Be, they're obstinate. Totally makes sense. They insist on their own way. You're in a fight at a level, though not completely. What that fight leads to is a broken relationship. Uh, there's strain, there's stress, and that relationship has a hard time moving forward, Right? Do you see how this works with the people of God? So God's presence cannot dwell with a stiff-necked people, uh, with those who are obstinate and those who uh, insist on having their own way. And relationships in general cannot function under those terms. And here's why: because you've put a condition on the relationship. You've made whatever it is, whether it's having things your own way or going to a certain place to get ice cream, or you know, being able to watch a certain show on TV, though you probably don't do those things with God, but you're asking for a certain job, you're asking to move to a certain city, you're asking for a certain outcome. Whatever it is, you've made that more important than the relationship, more important than God, okay? And by the way, this is actually what the Bible means when it talks about idolatry. So you see idolatry all over the Bible. And Exodus 32, the golden calf, is kind of that classic place we turn to when we're talking about idolatry, right? Idolatry really isn't about golden calves, though. It's not even about wooden statues. You know, as you think about it, that's what you think about, probably. It's that, at a, at a, it's a part of it, but at the root, the root of idolatry is really being stiff-necked. It's, this is what an idol is. Let me just unpack this for you. Anything that you require, in addition to God, to be happy. Okay? Anything where you say, God, I have you in my life, but I have to have this, or else. This plus you. Anything that's so central, or essential to your life, whether that's a certain income, you know, a certain standard of living, a relationship, uh, whatever, a job, whatever it would be, that if you didn't have it, your life would be hardly worth living. You wouldn't be happy anymore. That's what it means to be stiff-necked. That's what it means to have an idol, okay? And that's the reason a lot of us are not experiencing the fire of God in our lives, because we put something else there instead, okay? By the way, a really quick aside— Idols don't necessarily need to be bad things. We think of them as bad things like sex and drugs and alcohol, all these things, right? Tim Keller wrote a great book on this called Counterfeit Gods. Recommend it. He observes that idols, actually the worst sorts of idols, can be good things. Here's a quote. The greater the good, the more likely we are to expect that only it can satisfy our deepest needs. The greater the good the more likely we are to expect that only it can satisfy our deepest deepest needs. Do you hear that? Anything, he says, can serve as a counterfeit God. That's his language for an idol. We might say anything can lead to being stiff-necked for our conversation today, especially, he says, the very best things in life, especially those things, because you've tasted something so good, and that thing has to be true for you to move forward. And so here's my challenge for us, all of us sitting here today. I I want to invite us to begin to ruthlessly examine our lives here and ask yourself, what are the main reasons I get so upset or cold-hearted or worried or anxious or whatever it is? Just look at your life. In fact, if you've never done this or you're wondering how would I do that, here's a, a quick tip, pro tip. Moleskins for sale at every bookstore or maybe you just get like one of those right in the rain or whatever they are and just start jotting down an inventory of your day. End of the day, remember that time I got grumpy? I was driving home from work and I was kind of mad. Was it because I was hungry? Or because something happened that didn't go my way? Uh, remember that time I snapped at my spouse? You know, or I was feeling anxious about what's in the bank or not in the bank? Was it because of the money or was there something underlying that wasn't going my way? Why was I feeling grumpy? Why was I worried? Why was I being stiff-necked? And so I'll tell you what you're going to find when you start doing that. You're going to find your idols. <laughs> you're going to find the things that you have to have in order to m- m- live a fulfilled life. Uh, you're going to find something that your heart is insisting upon, insisting upon as a requirement for being happy. Now, just to be full disclosure here, earlier this summer I started to do this, this writing down thing. Uh, I, f- I knew I was preaching this, so I was like, well, I practice what you preach, right? And I started considering the areas of my life where I'm being stiff-necked. And uh, it's, it's a brutal process. If you're on board with me, it's not fun. So I'm not inviting you to fun, summer campy type stuff here. Uh, but it's part of the process of having a relationship with God grow. I believe this. And so I have four idols right now. Isn't that funny? I have four. Just four, though. No more. Just four. <laughs> One of them that I recognize, uh, that I've been observing over the summer, is my need for recognition. Some of you that know me know this. Uh, I realize that I'm somebody who really likes to be recognized, so whenever I feel like, you know, I'm not getting credit here, uh, I, I, you know, I emptied the dishwasher, folded the laundry, uh, I preached my guts out, you know, I've been pastoring my heart out, and did they notice? Did she notice? Did he notice? I mean, they didn't say anything. Uh, I can just tell you what, that can ruin at least an hour of my day, usually the whole day. So I'm just being honest with you, okay? But I hope you'll be honest with yourself and with those in your life. And when you are honest, that, one of the ways I'm trying to work that out and, and work on kindling my relationship with God and finding, is that I'm finding out almost any given day, anytime I feel grumpy or upset or I'm getting angry or whatever it is, impatient, I just go through the inventory, those four things. And they, they're sitting there in my moleskin. Sure enough, almost always one of those things kind of led to that situation. And then at that moment, here's what I've been doing and learning to ask God to intervene. And it's a simple intervention God smashed the idol, God smashed the idol. Break its power over me and free me from its grip. Smash it, break its power, and free me from its grip. That's it. And and that's been a powerful experience. It doesn't mean that I'm a perfect human being. You know this. It doesn't mean there haven't been bumps, but I'm living more free and I'm living more relaxed. And so what this means for us, to no longer live as stiff-necked as we might be, it means that we first and foremost need to recognize and confess and then surrender our idols to God. recognize, confess, and then surrender those. Stop holding them. And the promise, you see this in Exodus 33 with Moses, the promise he gives to Moses is that you'll experience rest. You'll experience true rest when you do that. It's just like uh, when you go to a chiropractor, you know? We have some that are chiropractors here, uh, and they get your neck in alignment. What happens? You can sleep better, (laughs) you know? Or they get that thing that's bothering you. It's not the Advil. It's, it's the alignment. So you're getting your life in alignment with God. So that's, that's the process. That's why we often don't experience a relationship with God. Let's move to how, okay? There's three things, uh, the text, ex- Exodus 32, and a little bit of 34, show us we have to do uh, that if we're going to experience this sort of renewal in our relationship, this fire with God, okay? And I want to go through them. They're listed as sort of fill-in-the-blanks. So just for fun, in case you wanted a fill-in-the-blank exercise, The first one is that you need to strip yourself of your glory. Strip yourself of your glory. And this is in verses 4 to 6 of chapter 33, okay? Uh, And I already kind of began this when I was talking about the idols, but let me just continue here, and I'll first read those verses. So if you're tracking, this is what it says in Exodus 33, verses 4 to 6. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments, Uh, which is, by the way, a little strange because they had just used all their ornaments to make the golden calf, but... We'll go into that another time. I don't know where where they were hiding, where they were hiding them, but we'll just keep going with me here. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites you're stiff necked there it is again, if I were to go even with you for a moment, I would destroy you. (laughs) How about that for a relationship? Take off your ornaments and I'll decide what to do with you. Okay? So the Israelites stripped themselves of their ornaments at Mount Horeb. So verses 4 to 6, we see like they took off these ornaments they're wearing, which is much more significant than it looks. Okay? And here's what I mean. You have to quickly realize that in those days, it's actually true for today as well, people showed their value and their worth with ornaments, okay? Jewelry, gold, precious stones. Today would be an Apple watch or Patagonia vest. You know, I often wear mine. Or a Gucci bag or the car you drive. If it's a Tesla or an Audi, if it's the house you live in and the furnishings that are in it, okay? Uh, The more ornaments you have, the richer you are, right? Right? The more ornate and elaborate those ornaments are, the more prestige and power you have in that community. That's how it worked then. That's how it works now, okay? And to be quite blunt, these ornaments really were people's glory, their their significance. The richer they were, if you read the history of Israel, the more beautiful they were considered as people. The more dazzling they were, their ornaments, the more wonderful they were to others, more highly regarded they were. This is why the priests were just wearing all kinds of garments and things around them. The more glamorous they were, the more prestigious and important they were. Their ornaments were their glory, their significance, their value, and their worth. Okay? And God wouldn't have it that way. He would not have it that way. God would not have his, would have his people strip themselves of their ornaments before they took another step with him. Okay? Which is to say, both here in Exodus, but also if you read the entire Bible, <laughs> you see this. God challenges his people to not, only, to not only identify places in their lives that have become ornamental, you know, expressions, ways in which we seek approval from others, we, we seek affirmation from others, or we promote ourselves, right? We want to gain status and honor. We do this. And then as we do so, he, he challenges us to identify those. Then, then he says, strip those from your life, strip them. And, and come to me as Adam and Eve first did, naked and unashamed. That, and that's throughout the Bible as you read it. Now, Real quick, right here, many of us, you hear me talking, you hear me refer to Apple Watches and Patagonia Vests and your houses, and we quickly snap to judgments about wealth and money, and, and many of us have the immediate sort of flooding feeling of guilt and shame, because we own our house, we live in a nice neighborhood, you, you wear the Apple Watch, right? And I wear all the Patagonia stuff, like... And let me just say very briefly, please hear me. Don't, please don't hear me wrong, okay? Just hear this. I'm not saying that it's wrong to wear jewelry, so like you don't have to take it off, don't worry. I'm not saying that if you have wealth, or you drive a nice car, or you own your home, or whatever it is, that that's sinful. I'm not saying that. What I am saying, however, very clearly, is that if any of those things, whatever they are, uh, for that matter, anything in your life, whether it's material or immaterial, spiritual, emotional, physical, I don't care, if that has become a measure of your significance your value, or your worth, then you need to think about taking it off, stripping it from your life, uh, relinquishing it to God at very least, saying, God, I surrender this to you. Make much more of it than I could or do. Give it up, whatever it is, okay? And that will take a great deal of prayer, a lot of patience, maybe some Bible study. You might even need to perhaps silence in solitude. You might even need to ask somebody into your life to do that work with you. It can be, like I said with the idol, very painful. In fact, Uh, I already mentioned that I've been doing the idle thing, so let me just go a step further. I've been doing with this too, practice what you preach. (laughs) And one of the ornaments that I've been, I just want to confess to you that I have carried in my whole life and try to express myself with is intelligence. Uh, I've often considered myself a a smart, quick witted person. I like to be the quickest or the smartest guy in the room, as they say. And the way this manifests, very often when I'm in a group... uh, we're talking about an issue or a topic, whatever it is, especially when I have a passion for, if it's a theological conversation, a political one, one about coffee or bikes, <laughs> I tend to control the conversation. Uh, sometimes I'll dominate that conversation even. I'll share not only my passion with those people, oftentimes I'll stifle those people I'm talking to, uh, talk at them, not make room for them in that conversation, their ideas, their viewpoints, and not get their input. And this is very hard to tell you, <laughs> I can injure those people. I've probably injured a few of you in that process and had to ask for forgiveness. And I'll just confess that's sin to do so in relationship, if that's you. So I began to confess that to God too. It's been a great summer. <laughs> and so I lay this down for God and I, as sort of ornament and say, God, I, I stripped this from my life. Help me to slow down. I stripped from this from my life. Help me to listen. I strip it. Help me to uh, take away my need to know it all. I don't need to be a know-it-all God. You've never called me to that. Uh, I don't need to be seen as smart or intelligent. I mean, replace that ornament with a curiosity to know others deeply, with questions for them, uh, to hear their insights and their ideas, to learn from them. Imagine that, I'll learn from other people. Uh, and do you see it? it needs, there needs to be a stripping of our own glory, uh, our own significance, our own value, our own worth. I'm not saying that we're not worthwhile, we're not significant. We are in Christ, but we're in Christ in that. We have to strip that from our lives So, we might experience God's glory. He is the glory of God. Jesus is. And we need to be filled with His glory, not our own. Remember how Paul puts it in Philippians. I mean, Philippians, if you want to explore this topic, is incredible. Every chapter. Paul says this in Philippians 3 Whatever gains were to me, I now now consider them a loss for Christ. Whatever gains, whatever ornaments are in my life, I consider them a loss. What's more, I consider everything a loss. Everything a loss. For the sake, the, the, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake, I've, I've lost everything. Uh, and then he goes on, he says, I consider it garbage. And he picks a word there that would translate as an expletive. So I know there's some children in the room. I will not say it, but it's a colorful word. I consider it garbage, that I might gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or from my own stuff, but one that comes through faith in Christ. Our glory comes from Christ. We we carry no ornaments with us in a relationship with Christ. He is the ornament for our life. So let me ask you, before I transition, what are the ornaments in your life? What are you wearing, what are you presenting that are your significance and your value and your worth? How are you presenting yourself to people? And how might those be stripped from your life so that Christ might fill those spaces? What might you put on Paul's so-called rubbish heap? For God to to use and work with. Is there anything you're wearing today that you came to church? I mean, we all got dressed up for church, maybe not literally, but maybe it's emotionally, maybe it's spiritually, intellectually, like I shared. Is there anything that's an ornament that needs to be stripped so that you might know Christ? Okay? That's the first that's the first way we come into a deeper relationship and stoke that relationship with Christ is just being stripped of our own stuff. Okay? Here's the second. This is a fun one. Speak with God as a friend. This is in uh, Exodus 33:11. So right after they remove their ornaments, if you read the story, the very next thing that happens, uh, the Moses, they set up a tent outside the camp where they're staying, far outside the camp, actually. And it's, it's uh, a tent that's called the Tent of Meeting, and you're probably familiar with this. And we're told in this section that, that the reason it's called that is it's the place where Moses, here's the verse, used to speak to God face to face as with a friend. It's a really remarkable verse. So there's a ma- And there's a macro as well as a micro sort of uh, principle at work here. So let's look at them. The macro principle is this. And we talk about this a lot around Bethany, so I won't spend a lot of time on it. But the nature of our relationship with God is what? Friendship. That's it. You've got to get that locked into your heart. Uh, it's astounding as you read the Bible, the number of times the Bible talks about the essence of relationship with God as friendship. Uh, years ago, I was a new Christian I was just—I was stunned by this idea. I'm somebody who's struggled with friendship my entire life, somebody who has a deep longing for friendship, and it wasn't always easy for me. And so I was a new Christian in my college years, and I was reading the Gospel of John with some friends, and I think it was like the first time through, and I encountered these verses in, in John 15. You may know these, where Jesus is kind of winding everything down, and he says to his disciples, greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his what? For his friends. But then he goes on. Listen to this. You're my friends if you do what I command. And then he goes on. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. And here's the punchline. Instead, I call you friends for everything I've learned from my father I've made known to you. Let me say that again because it's, it's, I call you friends because everything, I, everything, Jesus, the son of God. Okay. Everything I've learned from my father I've made known to you. Full disclosure. You know it, well, I just said I'm not a know-it-all, but you know it all. You know everything you need to know. I no longer call you servants, but friends. It just hit me like a ton of bricks when I read that. It's amazing when you think about it. That's the macro principle. We are, God, when you go through the Bible, God calls you friend. And if you need to hear that, I mean, just let that hit your heart. Okay? We sing it, what a friend we have in Jesus, but it is the truth. Okay? Here's Here's the micro principle. And this is how Moses demonstrates that friendship to us. Because there's the macro is great, but it can be a little cliche. Here's the micro. Uh, there's two ways Moses models friendship with God, and they're pretty. I think they're awesome. The first is notice how brash Moses is with God. So in verses 12 and 13 of Exodus 33, here's what Moses says to God: You've been telling me, God, lead these people like over and over and over. You've been telling me that, but you've not no let me know where. <laughs> You said, I know you by name, Uh, you found favor with me, you're pleased with me, but I don't know who you are. (laughs) He's pretty brash. He goes on like this. It's the language of true friendship, uh, which is a language not only of vulnerability, where we tend to be vulnerable with our friends, telling them really how we're feeling, but also raw honesty. He is, just in a way, like we would call this a courageous conversation with God, okay? Uh... Friendship with, is rooted in this sort of conversation. This, this raw, it has to be rooted in brutal honesty at times. You know, you see with Moses, you see it also with uh, Abraham. If you remember Abraham back in Genesis 18, God's, he's bartering with God. If you remember this, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, he barters God down from burning the city down. You know, you just, and it's, it's a, remarkable to me as you read these stories, and there's others as well, that finite human beings can in any way confront a holy and infinite God. I mean, just, I cannot get my head around that. We're invited to confront God. I mean, Abraham does it, Moses does it, there's others that do it. You see people that do this. They're extremely frank, they're always very respectful, uh, but very frank, very blunt with God. Which is to say that the friendship with God, is a friendship in general, but friendship with God is being willing to say, God, I'm not satisfied with this situation. Uh, I need you to fix it. Whatever it is. It, you know, do something about the injustice in the world, God. Do something about the sex trafficking I see every time I go up Lake City Way. Do something about the political hatred that is infecting our country. Do something about the racism that's tearing apart our communities. Do something about the loneliness and the addiction and the cynicism and the apathy. Do something, God. You're God. You're good. You're great. You're gracious. <laughs> do something. That's the language of friendship, okay? And, and you see, the, the, here's the thing. When you go to a friend, just think of your friendships that you value the most. You don't have to be too varnished with them and too polished. You trust your friend to accept you, right? Uh, you trust your friend to dig deep with you, to sort of, as we say, hold a space with you. Uh, you might, it might be a space full of anger and hurt and bitterness. Uh, you trust that friend to sit in that space with you, to not leave you hanging there alone, to grasp with you the meaning of your heart's desires, your hurts, that's friendship with God. Those kinds of conversations with God, Moses shows us are possible. They're possible. And, that, and and he shows us that in doing so, it can lead to igniting a relationship with God that had grown cold and stale. Okay? So that's the first thing. Moses uh, speaks to God very bluntly. The second thing under this heading is that he asks to see God's glory. This is in verse 18. He says, God, show me your glory. Okay? Uh, and, and so, what this is about, it's, it's actually clearer when you understand the context of that statement, the, the entire Bible. Moses is not the only one to ask to see God's glory, in other words. You see uh, Paul praying for it, for example, in Ephesians. He prays this I pray the eyes of your heart will be enlightened to the riches of the glory that is yours, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. It's Ephesians 1. Jesus prays for it in his final prayer, John 17. He prays for a number of things there. This is that high priestly prayer, many of us know. Uh, But remember how he begins that prayer? He prays for an experience of God's glory. He's about to die. God, show me your glory. That's strange. I would probably be asking to take me off the cross. Show me your glory. You see, see, Moses' prayer, just like Jesus and Paul's after him and many, many more, is a prayer first and foremost rooted in this sort of holy dissatisfaction, a hunger and a yearning for more, more of God. See, all these great prayers, they... They don't start by asking God for changes. I know I just talked about sort of God changing circumstances, but the, in the circumstances they're all facing are quite difficult. But they don't start there. Uh, God has, they, they, they don't start with asking God for uh, power or strength to meet their needs. I mean, Moses had needs, right? He's the leader of an entire nation that's homeless. That's pretty big needs. They're hungry. They need water. There's internal strife, so he needs unity and peace. He needs all these things, and what does he pray for? Exodus through 18, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And you see it over and over again. The great prayers of the Bible, and this is going to be us, ask for revelation. God, show me more of you. I I want an unmitigated encounter with you, God. That's what my heart desires more than anything, which as it relates to friendship means this. You expect people who uh, love you to want more of you, not just to cook for you, (laughs) not just to clean for you, make money for you, to mow your lawn, you know, whatever it might be, you want them to want you. That's what you want in a relationship, to be with you, to want to know you for who you are, right? To be satisfied with time together and, you know, sitting by Green Lake and just, we're together. Like there's ducks and clouds and it's great, you know? (laughs) Uh, To be delighted by the gift of just seeing inside your heart for a moment and hearing what fills it with both joy but also what burdens you. That's what you want from people, right? Right? Do I see? Can I get an amen? And that's the nature of friendship, and that's what God is or Moses is doing with God. He's that's why it makes sense where he says, "Show me your glory," because that's what I want. I want more of you, God. More. I'm not satisfied with what I've gotten so far. I've seen a lot. I've seen you face to face, but I need I need more. I, I I need nothing more, but I can settle for nothing less. Okay. So let me ask you this question before I transition to the last point. What would it look like for you to pray like that, to pray yourself hot, to go back to that fire analogy, to ask God to help you desire more of his glory, his presence, uh, to say to God, I've settled for too little for too long, you know? I've been eating crumbs from a table and you invited me to the table to eat with you as a friend. God, give me desire for you that, that wakes me up in the morning. It keeps me up at night. I've settled for a religious experience of going to church on Sunday and going to Bible studies and doing the Christian thing when you've invited me into relationship. They're very different, my friends, okay? Fill me with a desire for you, okay? That's what Moses does, and that's how you begin or renew a relationship with God. God, show me your glory. I'm your friend, okay? Let me move to the last thing, and I'll be quick here, and in the fill-in-blank, uh, so we're called to get into a posture or a place where we can see God. So you've got to strip yourself of your ornaments. You've got to speak to God as a friend. And the last thing here is to get into a place or a posture where you can see God. Okay, this is in uh, the end of Exodus 33, verses 20 to 23. Uh, so in order to summarize, in order to experience God, Moses says, hey, I want to see your glory. And God says, fine, I'll show you my glory. But in order to see me, in order to experience me like that, in order to encounter me face to face, Verses 20 to 23, you need to get up and move. You can't do it where you are. And there's so much here, actually. We could go, a whole sermon on this one. There's that joke that Moses could only look at God's backside, and then all the middle school boys are supposed to laugh. Ha <laughs> ha, okay. There's so much here, but really, the most important thing for us here is to grasp this idea that when we come to God, whether it's as a seasoned Christian, you're the most seasoned Christian in the room, you've been walking with God for decades— or you're a person who's just now exploring Christianity and the questions and all the things that are inside Christianity, whether you're Macy, you're going to get baptized, you've been baptized since you were a baby, Uh, whether you're old, young, a pastor, marketplace professional, stay-at-home parent, whatever you are, there's an invitation here, always, if you're following God, toward movement. To see God, to experience God, we have to move. Uh, In order to encounter God at any level, especially when your relationship has died down. You know this, if you've ever built a fire, you've got to move things around. Get air going in there. And you do the same with God. You've got to get up, go to a new place, get a new posture, see God from a different vantage point. Uh, I'll give you an illustration that has been really helpful to me, maybe because I've been doing a back, backyard project. I was telling Adam here, I took out like 20-some rhododendrons from my backyard and put in some grass. <laughs> he works for the Nature Conservancy. He's like, great. So anyway... That's our worship leader this morning. Sorry, dude. But there's this poem by Wendell Berry uh, called The Old Man Climbs a Tree, and it's been helpful to me over the years. But it's about this guy, a uh, fictional guy, who needs to cut down this cedar tree in his backyard. And it's too close to this other tree in his house, so he can't do it, so he, has to decide, he decides he has to climb the tree and kind of pull it tight to the other tree. And he, the poem goes on that he, he's going to climb this tree much like he did when he was a kid, Uh, and so he does, and he's a little ashamed because he's an older guy and just climbing up in a tree to cut it down. And it says this in the poem that when he got up there, uh, the treetops are another world. This is what his experience was. See if it's yours. Uh, smelling of bark and a stratum of freer air and larger views from which he saw the world he lived in all day until now. Its intimate geography had changed by his absence and by the height that he saw it from. The sky was a little larger, and all around the aerial topography of treetops were green and gray. The ground was almost invisible beneath. He perched there, and I love this part. He perched there, ungravitated as a bird, nodding his rope and looking about, worlded in worlds on worlds, pleased and unafraid. See, God invites us into an experience with him were pleased and unafraid, always. And in order to do that, like Wendell Berry's fictional old man, we need to move. Whether that means just being childish and silly enough to climb up in a tree, or uh, get up early enough to watch the sunrise, or stay up late enough and watch the meteor shower that's happening, or look at clouds with your kids some afternoon, or pray on your knees. Raise your hands in worship. You know, uh, Go on a road trip. Uh, go on a mission trip. Uh, volunteer for something you know is going to stretch you beyond your comfort zone, whether that's back here with our kids or out of out Aurora or Lake City Way or wherever. Do you want to know God? How many of you want to know God? There's a bunch of you. The exhortation here is to get into a new posture, to go to a new place, to get inside, literally, if you read Exodus 33, the cleft of a rock. And, and, and if you do that, uh, you'll see God. That's the promise. And by the way, that rock, this is going to be a little corny, but that rock is Jesus. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10 says this, uh, Paul says this to the church, I do not want you to be ignorant of this fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they, and they passed through the sea. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. They they drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them throughout their journey. This rock that Moses is climbing into is Jesus, none other than Jesus. And we're being invited today. You are being invited today. I'm being invited to hide yourself in Christ, to move your life into Christ, to put your trust in Jesus. Uh, Whatever that is you're facing, whether that's the next season in life, here you go, the Hammonds, uh, a decision you need to make in a relationship, a potential calling, a difficult conversation of financial, whatever it is, when you hide yourself in the rock that is Christ, you'll find life. You'll see life from a different perspective, but you'll experience life that is truly life. So would you do that as a community, as individuals? Would you see God from a different perspective? Would you go to Jesus? And as we do, uh, let me go and pray for us, okay? Let's pray. I'll invite our worship team forward. Jesus, we're going we're gonna to sing a song in a moment here uh, to you that has this anthem, uh, Heart Run. And so, God, I just I pray for our hearts right now that they would run to you. Uh, yeah, That we would not come to you now uh, just singing words on a screen because they're there, but that we would really open our hearts to you uh, in worship, asking you to enter our lives, but then coming to you in full surrender, God, running towards you, knowing that you are the way, the truth, the life. As we put our lives in, in your care, we trust our lives to you, and we, we allow you to guide our lives and shape our lives. As we do that, uh, we'll experience life. God, I pray for anyone here who, whose relationship with you has died down, is cold. Uh, as distant. Um, God, that's been me, that's been many of us, at seasons in life, many of us in the room today. I pray for the ministry of your Holy Spirit to do its work. I pray for the Spirit to work on our hearts, God, to uh, ignite a fire in us um, that would burn into a flame, that would touch those in our lives as we leave these doors. God, we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, I believe we'll have somebody on this wall here where it says prayer team, if you would like to receive prayer this morning, uh, that place is for you. I I invite you to, to go there. It's a vulnerable place to go. I know everybody watches, but nobody's thinking badly. That's a place for us to surrender what we're holding on to to God. So I invite you there. Let's worship God.